0: And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. Early chess victories against old drunk men in a park adjacent to a depressed government housing project, a fascination with the Rostov ripper, Andre Chikatilo, the abandonment by a father and the death of a loving grandfather, and a childhood head injury from a swing. These would be the main ingredients that, when mixed together, would create Alexander Yurovich Pashushkin, known to family and friends as Sasha, known to the world as the chessboard killer, aka the Pizza Park maniac. He sits now in solitary confinement in a Russian prison, as he has since his 2007 conviction on 48 murders and three attempted murders. Pashushkin's trial created intense national debate in Russia regarding reinstating the death penalty. The last person to be executed in Russia was another Moscow serial killer, Sergei Golovkin, a.k.a. the Fisher, a.k.a. the Boa, convicted of raping and killing 11 young boys between 1986 and 1992, and then given a single shot to the back of his head in 1996. Just like the United States, Russia has had an unfortunate amount of monsters dedicated to exterminating human beings. During his trial, Pashushkin actually insisted he killed 63 people, but authorities only had enough evidence to convict him of 48. He killed his first victim in 1992, didn't get caught until 2006. Not only was he not remorseful, he was proud. He was disappointed That he wasn't convicted of killing more people than his idol, Chikatilo, convicted of 52 murders in 1992. His goal was 64. One for every space on a chessboard. Why? Why did he want to kill anyone? Who did he kill? How did he kill them? And how did he get away with it for so damn long? We look into all this in another dark October true crime edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck happy monday time suckers hail nimrod only him today he demands it i'm dan cummins aka the prophet of nimrod and you are listening to time suck welcome to the cult of the curious today's time suck is brought to you by donald mcronald's roanoke recluse spider removal Uh, most meat sacks have one thing in common they don't like being covered from head to toe and super aggressive poisonous spiders like to try and crawl underneath your eyeballs, or eyelids and lay eggs on your eyeballs. That is why Donald McRonald and his team of spider specialists have chosen to specialize in getting spiders out of your life, especially the Roanoke recluse. Did you know that one in three people probably have a spider somewhere on their body right now, especially if they're driving and can't reach it? That spider is most likely, statistically, to to crawl inside their vagina or sneak inside their ear or nose holes and lay eggs in the brain. It might be true, which is why Donald McRonald's Roanoke recluse spider removal exists. They will remove super poisonous, exceptionally hard to kill, very aggressive spiders from not only your eyeballs, ear holes, and vaginas, where they are most likely to try and crawl inside and lay eggs, but also from the back of your head where they may be crawling around right now with their creepy little spider legs, like, you know, going in your hair and stuff. Or maybe on the middle of your back, where you just, you can't reach them very easily. Or uh, or in your butt crack, where you don't want to reach them very easily. It happens all the time, so often, probably now. So go to Donald McRonald's Roanoke Recluse Spider Removal. Dot, damn it, I really think there's probably a spider on you right now. And get 20% off me being an asshole who won't shut the fuck up about spiders. What just happened? Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Not really. Uh, okay. Uh, that was too much fun for me. Recording in the suck dungeon this fine fall day with Reverend Dr. Joe motherfucking Paisley. Queen of the suck, Lindsey Cummins coming in soon. Uh, just did some flatter st- uh, stand-up shows in Tacoma and a live uh, time suck in Tacoma on Sunday. Man, I hope I had fun. I bet I had fun. I bet Joe Paisley had fun. He was there probably if he made his flight. I recorded this last Thursday, by the way, so that's why I'm saying a lot of maybe, probably. Uh, And also, thoughts go out to everyone in Florida being impacted by Hurricane Michael. I know we have a lot of Florida meat sacks in the panhandle. I hope you're all okay. I I hope that the hurricane uh, is not as bad as it was looking when I sat down to record this episode. And again, thanks to all the Tacoma time suckers, I think. I think we had fun. Three shows in Columbus, Ohio, Friday and Saturday, November 2nd and 3rd, Friday at 7.45 p.m. One show only on Friday, two on Saturday. Uh, Come on, Ohio. Let's let's do it. Let's tear this club up. Uh, Helium Comedy Club in Buffalo, New York, November 8th through the 11th. Back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, one of the clubs I've been hitting the longest. Uh, Shows of Dr. Grins, November 16 and 17, including my last live podcast of 2018 on the 17th, and that'll be the last uh, Madame Merle's Narco-Satanist live time suck. Uh, more two thousand eighteen dates at Dan St. Louis and Spokane shows coming up in December uh, and in November or early December. Going to announce a big chunk of two thousand nineteen dates and the uh, and the tour name and concept. I am very excited about all of it. Excited about how the schedule is coming together. Links to tickets in the episode descriptions. Uh, thanks for thanks as always for all the reviews wherever you listen to the suck. It really helps spread the suck. And thanks for ordering those limited editions of the vinyl pressing of my last album. Maybe I am the problem. Through Romanus Records. They came out so well. Link in the episode description. The Lizard Gold Customs, the one-off wonder bundles. They've been sold out for weeks. Copies still left of the tri-colors, Positivity Blue Splatters, and the black and blue splatters in the Romanus Records store. Also, finally got those coffee tumblers and Lucifina sleepwear sets in the store. Uh, part of that fall line. Rest came out a few weeks ago. Now we now it's complete. 16-ounce tumblers, a black spaces or tumbler, stainless steel time suck. Tumbler, uh, the Spacer Tumbler, uh, only for spacers, of course. Uh, the suck lives on caffeine. You know that. You know how fast I talk. And these badass, danger-brain suck juice dispensers look magical. Uh, check them out in the store. Made of 117% monoatomic gold, so you can shape shift while you drink. Double, uh, double wall, stainless steel construction. Screw-on lid with slide-lock drink opening. Hand wash only. You got to be careful with the monoatomic gold. Uh, and then the Lucifina sleepwear set: sexy, comfy, short, and tank combo. Ladies wear. Finally, uh, hey Lucifina! Uh, more and more ladies joining the suck. Gotta gotta give them what they're asking for. It's a camisole uh, top, sixty-five percent polyester, thirty-five percent viscose, four hundred and ten percent kitten belly button. So soft. Fits somewhere between true to size, maybe slightly big. It's loose fitting, still sexy. Queen of the suck, Lindsay's been wearing it uh, at home, and it looks great. And it comes with a pair of matching shorts that are 100% cotton-spun and pre-washed and also made of killi- uh, kitten belly buttons, of course, and, of course, imported. We're not going to – don't be too sad. We're not using domestic cats. And it's sold as a set. Uh, buy based on the size of the shorts. Again, uh, check them out. Look at them, timesuckpodcast.com, in the store there, in the Shopify store. Uh, also able to link to that via the Time Suck app. Thank you. Now let's head to Russia where they don't have fun things like that. Uh, they might now, where they didn't used to have fun, things like that. Let's dip into the suck that has the, the ghost of Chikatilo rolling around in his limp grave, feeling threatened. It's time for Alexander Yurovich Pashushkin, the chessboard killer. Now, before we dig into the life of the chessboard killer, let's first dig into the possible relationship between head wounds and violence. Is there really a link? Uh, yes is a short answer there seems to be. Uh, while we don't have the exact date, we do know that when Alexander was a little kid, he fell off a swing set, suffered a head wound of unknown severity. Uh, just like uh, we're going to find out Richard Ramirez also had that kind of insane injury. Man, swing sets, man. Less swings, less serial killers, maybe. Uh, Pashushkin, never taken to a doctor, but he did suffer blurred vision and brief motor control impairment. Got his bell rung. Sounds like a concussion for sure. Uh, but after the accident, family, friends, and neighbors, uh, you know, he wasn't taken to the hospital. They would see dramatic changes in his behavior. The previously shy kid was now quick to grow angry. He soon became very prone to violence, which was very unlike him. Was his head wound at least partly to blame for the person he would become? Probably. Recent research out of Vanderbilt University released in December of 2017 determined that brain lesions increased the risk of a person committing a crime. The findings were published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Neuroscientists began looking into the link between brain injuries and violent acts, way back with the case of Charles Whitman, who's the uh, Texas Tower sniper. In 1996, the former Marine sniper took a rifle, climbed an observation tower on the campus of the University of Texas, where he shot 11 passerby below dead until he was subdued by police. He killed 16 that day total, including his wife and mother. After his death, an autopsy revealed he had a brain tumor. But did it contribute or even lead to the murder spree? There's a very good chance it did. Other serial killers have suffered brain injuries, either from a fall, accident, or physical abuse, including Ed Kemper, Jerry Brutos, Gary Heidnik. Uh, some that we've sucked already, such as uh, John Wayne Gacy and Ed Gein, and their injuries probably did contribute to their crimes. Research by Ryan Darby, MD, assistant professor of neurology at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, showing compelling evidence that lesions in one particular brain network can increase the risk of criminal behavior what's technically known as acquired sociopathy. It's the uh, first brain mapping study linking lesions to a higher propensity of criminal acts, a lesion being abnormal brain tissue, which can occur as the result of trauma, tumor, or stroke. What the study found is that lesions occurring in a number of different places, such as the frontal lobe, can contribute to the likelihood of a person committing a crime. The researchers attribute 14% of violent crime to being committed with someone with a frontal lobe injury, And while this was the first brain mapping study to link head trauma and violence, it's not the first overall study to link the two, not even close. Uh, This study just confirms data linking head injuries and violence discovered in many previous studies, such as a 2014 study uh, that found that 20% of 249 mass murder cases investigated uh, by the researchers were committed by someone with a head injury. In another 2011 study, researchers uh, followed a group of ninth graders from four schools in Flint, Michigan, into young adulthood. They conducted annual interviews over eight years in years five and six. Participants were asked if they had ever sustained a head injury. Those who said yes, about 23% reported uh, you know, a statistically significant amount of uh, more violent behavior in year eight of the study. Another study from 1986 looked at 15 death row inmates, found that all of them had experienced a traumatic head injury in childhood. A 1996 report looked at 279 Vietnam War veterans who suffered penetrating brain injuries and found that those with damage to a particular part of the frontal cortex definitely demonstrated more aggression. And the research goes on and on and on. Uh, There's the whole NFL controversy around this, you know, head injuries and and how they can change people and uh, change their behavior. The whole Aaron Hernandez case, you know, the guy, the uh, former tight end for the Patriots, became a murderer. Uh, There's actually a criminal rights group now called Head for the Truth. Dot org That is actually fighting to have a significant previous head injury be a legal reason for a significant reduction in prison sentencing for violent crimes. Like like if you would normally get 25 years for premeditated murder, headforthetruth.org wants you to be legally allowed to be sent to prison for no more than 20% of your original sentence. You know, if you've ever had a head injury uh, serious enough to lose consciousness. So you'd only get like five years instead of 25. And they'd be spent at home arrests, like a home arrest situation instead of jail or prison where private doctors could monitor your brain and give you treatment. Uh, And another clause would prevent you from ever being charged with multiple instances of the same type of crime if this all went through. So, like, if you killed 10 people, you could only be charged for one of the murders and never get more than five years of home arrest for that murder. And in some cases, just six months probation. It's it's controversial, but I do get the logic. Uh, If you have a head injury, you know, it's not your fault if you kill people and you shouldn't get in trouble. Uh, if you'd like to donate to headforthetruth.org, I want you to turn off this podcast, and I want you to reevaluate your fucking life. Uh, I want you to think about all your life choices that led up to you thinking that would even remotely be a good idea. Now, it's nonsense. There is not a group fighting to let people get away with murder because they had a concussion when they were a kid. But, you know, the concussion could have led them to possibly becoming <laughs> to murder. Back to reality. Back to reality. Uh, just for a second, I imagine some of you were like, what in the fuck is he advocating so, how how could these injuries contribute to violent behavior? Well, there's there's several coexisting theories. Uh, the vulnerable uh, amygdala, located within the interior temporal lobe, pairs emotions with thoughts. Damage to the amygdala uh, can lead to proper uh, poor excuse me lead to poor imp- impulse control, violent behavior. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that. Head for the truth.org. Uh Damage to the frontal lobe impairs one's ability to regulate uh, limbic input. The limbic system supports a variety of functions, including emotion, behavior, motivation, long-term memory. Emotional life is largely housed in the limbic system. Uh, someone, someone with frontal lobe damage often reacts impulsively and even violently. Damage to sp- specific neurotransmitter systems also causes impulse problems in traumatic brain injury patients. When the uh, locus uh, ceruleus in the forebrain is injured, it can lead to elevations in uh noref- God dang these words. Uh, norepine... uh fucking what? Uh, Nor. I don't even know. I don't know. It's N-O-R-E-P-I-N-E. P H uh, R I N E. I forgot to look up the pronunciation for that one because it didn't look so complicated when I first glanced at it. referee, whatever it is. Uh increased levels of that shit have been uh correlated with aggressiveness and impulse. Who decides what these fucking words are, by the way? Who is on the word committee? It's like, you know what? Let's get 75 fucking consonants in this thing. Why not? No one else, it's not taken. It's not it's not taken. We can say it's nerefereferefine. Just fucking make people say that. That'd be fun. Uh, Basically, our brains are very, very important, very, very complex, and getting them banged around causes us to, uh, you know, no work is good no more. Uh, Our brains uh, are powerful organic computers. You know, that regulate how we see, think, feel, and so much more. So it makes sense that if you damage it, it's not going to perform as well as it did before you damaged it. It's like, I feel like it's like dropping a phone. You drop it enough times, maybe it's not going to, you know, maybe the buttons aren't going to push as easy, Uh, which is kind of scary, right? Like one, I was thinking about this, one bad blow to your thought melon and suddenly, you cannot be you anymore. Uh, or not the you you used to be. You know, like you hurt your arm. You might you might lose your arm, but you're still you. You still have your same personality identity for the most part. You know, it hurt your spine. You might lose the use of your legs, but, you know, it's still you inside. But you hurt your head. You might just not 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 be you anymore. It can fucking wipe your memories, wipe your personality. I mean, isn't that what your identity is? Uh, you, you know, you may never be able to regulate emotions, aggression, the same way ever again. Ugh. Uh, one of the things your brain does when it's working correctly is remind you not to act on every impulse you feel, including violent impulses. Thank God for that. I'd be, I'd be in so much trouble if my brain took an impulse control vacation. If you've ever listened to any of my stand-up, you know that I think about a, a lot of dark shit, uh, a lot of aggressive stuff, like murdering strangers for minor etiquette infractions. You know, Moments of anger, or especially like anger combined with a lack of proper sleep, maybe a little maybe a little low blood sugar, I get preposterously mad at people for doing things I think that makes, makes them an asshole. Like loudly talking on a speakerphone in a public place, a restaurant, you know, or not saying excuse me when they bump into me or chewing with their mouth open in any place for any reason. But when I think about killing them, I know I'm not really going to kill them. It's a fantasy. But what if the part of my brain that's like, hey, this is a fantasy. That would not be a good thing to do. You could go to prison for a long time. What if that brain was like, yeah, we're out. We're done. See ya. Good luck. Good luck in the future. Well, for some people, that's exactly what happens. Uh, we love to say stuff like, uh, I don't give a fuck, or uh, I'm I'm fresh out of fucks to give, but some people truly don't have a fuck to give. They're neurologically incapable of giving a fuck, and and you combine that brain with the right motive and opportunity, right uh, environment, raise that brain in the, in the wrong home or place, well, you got a monster on your hands, a real-life monster, and before we move forward with the events leading up to the monster uh, we're talking about today, Alexander Pashushkin and his head injury. Let's take a quick look at some other killers who, whose lives may have been tragically altered by an accident or some abuse. I mentioned uh, Richard Ramirez. Remember remember when we talked about how at age two, the suck subject, Ramirez, su- sustained a uh, significant injury to his head when a dresser fell on top of him, causing a laceration which required 30 stitches, and then at age five, knocked out by a swing in the park. And that head injury caused him to suffer epileptic seizures, which remained until he was a teenager. Uh, at age six, another suck subject, John Wayne Gacy, that killer clown was beaten unconscious by his father wielding a broomstick. At age eleven, struck in the head with a swing—fucking swings, man. Uh, which, though, all, all not, uh, although not diagnosed until he was sixteen, resulted in him suffering blackouts. Too many swings. Gotta get rid of swings. Uh, in 1960, future suck subject—I'm uh, sure—six-year-old David Berkowitz ran into the road outside his childhood home, struck by a car, suffered unspecified head injuries. Uh, a few months later, ran into a wall. Again, suffered head injuries at age eight, hit on the head with a pipe, received a four-inch gash. Uh, At the age of seven years old, future suck subject, I'm sure, heavily requested Albert Fish fell from a cherry tree, caused severe head trauma, caused him to suffer from dizzy spells and severe headaches the rest of his life. Another previous suck subject, Ed Gein, claimed uh, that his violent alcoholic father would beat him about the head so hard his ears would ring. And so many others, you know, Robert Joe Long, the classified ad rapist, Suffered serious head injuries in his early years. At the age of five, knocked unconscious when he fell from a swing. Fucking swings! Age six, he lost several teeth. Suffered a concussion when he crashed his bicycle headfirst into a parked car. Age of seven, I'm not making this up. Fell off a pony that left him with a concussion and dizzy spells. Nausea for weeks. Ponies! Finally, the pony and serial killer connection uh, revealed. That's you know That's probably why they call ponies the devil's little murder horse. Small in stature. Large and evil. Uh, the, the highway stalker, Henry Lee Lucas, claims to have received numerous head injuries between the ages of 5 and 10. Most significant was when he was 7, and his mom hit him across the back of his head using a 2x4. Big old block of wood. That put him in a coma for three days. Caused significant damage to the prefrontal lobe of his brain. I'm guessing it also caused him to listen carefully every time his mother told him to do something for the rest of his life. Man. Uh, in his recently released biography, confession of a serial killer, former suck Dennis BTK Raider stated that as an infant, his mother accidentally dropped him on the head, and that he stopped breathing and turned blue. Finally, uh, Gary uh, Green River Killer Ridgway had his head beaten repeatedly by his mother while growing up. Every time she aggressively cleaned his wing after wetting the bed, clean wing, call back. Been too long since Mama Ridgway snuck into a suck to do some wing scrubbing. Clean wing. Okay. Other than Gary Ridgeway, that list was real. And there were a ton of names I left off because it was getting repetitive. Uh, uh, But, man, all the swing stuff. All the swing stuff. Now let's find out where Alexander the Chessboard Killer, Pashushkin's head injury, helped lead him today in our Time Suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck timeline. 1963, 11-year-old Natasha uh future mother of the chessboard killer, moves into a two-room apartment on the fifth floor of a new drab, soul-crushing communist housing project in the Konkovo district of Moscow, around half an hour from downtown. The building she moved into is one of many virtually identical five-story buildings known as uh, Muscovites. as the uh, Khrushchev, named after the premier uh, Nikita Khrushchev. They were the, basically like the Soviet Union's first large-scale public housing projects. They put them all over Russia. Uh, these basic buildings, dark, damp, charmless. I mean, they're really like, when you look at pictures of them, you're like, ah, that would suck to live there. Overflowing with tenants, very crowded within, you know, just a, whose internal levels of hope and happiness probably matched the environment they existed in. The neighborhood was referred to by Moscow residents as Zopomira or Asshole of the World. True story. Uh, which, but it's But it's not— the asshole of the world, as many as you know, uh, many of you know, uh, Roswell, New Mexico, is the world's butthole. We've proven that on the suck uh, previously. Uh, Pashushkin lived in some communist projects. Yeah, dump. People would be born there. They would live out their whole lives, working and raising a family there. They would die there. Often their lives, you know, uh, would be lived without ever ever leaving their small little neighborhood. The residents may not have agreed, uh, have agreed, but for all intents and purposes, you know, it was a de facto prison. But nearby, there was the refuge of uh, Bitsavisky Park, a.k.a. Bitsa Park, Alexander's Future Killing Grounds. This is a 3,000-acre park, more of like a wildlife refuge than a park. It's enormous. For the sake of comparison, New York Central Park covers uh, 843 acres. This is 3,000 acres. And the Bitsa Park, just a six-minute walk, just a little short walk from Natasha's apartment. So there is that. Uh, As it was custom for families in communist Russia at the time when Natasha grew up and started her own family in the mid-70s, her parents let her stay in the apartment, and they just moved into a smaller unit, a one-room apartment nearby. Uh, April 9th, 1974, Alexander Pashushkin is born. His mother, Natasha, would affectionately call him Sasha. Uh, Before Alexander reached his first birthday in 1975, his father, whose name neither Alexander or Natasha ever revealed to the press, abandoned his son, probably realized uh, this little... This little gremlin's got some murder in his eyes. He's like, Dad, out. Several years later, Natasha met another unnamed man who also stuck around just long enough to get her pregnant with Katya, Alexander's half-sister born in 1982. And then for nearly the next two decades, Natasha spent most of her time tirelessly working to provide for her children. Luckily for Natasha, she didn't have to raise her kids completely alone since her parents did remain close by. Even with only the three of them Uh, Just, you know, just living together there, just with the three of them in this place, uh, conditions were already cramped in this tiny apartment. It's two bedrooms, and one of the bedrooms doubled as the living room. So really, one bedroom. That feels like some uh, communist nonsense. It's a two-bedroom apartment. One bedroom, also kitchen and living room and bathroom. Um, Alexander slept on the couch in the bedroom living room. Years later, when he still hadn't moved out and Katya started a family of her own, Natasha slept alone on a queen-size bed 10 feet from her son, while Katya shared the master bedroom with her husband, also named Alexander, and their son, Sergei. Communism! Sounds fun! Uh, if you want to listen to a real nightmare of a Soviet childhood, listen to Chikatilo Suck and hear about the living hell that were large parts of Ukraine under Stalin. Uh, Alexander grew up poor, but he didn't grow up watching people literally starve to, to death poor. Um Neighbors would uh, remember the young Alexander Pashushkin as a shy but good-natured child. He seemed no different than the other children in the area. Nothing unusual. Didn't stand out. Played in the park with other kids. Uh, as a young boy, he liked to collect commemorative pins, <laughs> which apparently was a common hobby for children growing up in the Soviet Union, which, which reads is, is terribly sad for me. What did you do as a kid? Trade baseball cards? Race BMX bikes? Play Nintendo? I, I collect Russian uh, commemorative pins uh okay uh what 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 kind of pin? favorite pin was 1980 Moscow uh, uh, Olympic weightlifting sports pin um I have every cool pin I uh Khan as molinievi as live, uh, flyweight Russian gold medalist I have Sultan uh, Saburovich, Ramonov super heavyweight Russian gold medalist uh, Leonid Arvi Taratanko. Russian heavyweights, gold medalist I had three best pins. And then uh, mother trade, three pins for a week supply of bread. And know how to sleep with project supervisor to pay rent for a month. I uh, had good childhood. Uh, then one day, Alexander Petruchin's childhood became not so good. He suffered that head injury we talked about earlier. He was in that big pizza park playing on swing. Playing on fucking, the, you know, that, that super cur- uh, serial killer factory known as a swing uh, when he fell backwards off it which was always my fear as a kid fell right off the back of a swing and then while, while Pashushkin sat confused on the ground the swing swung back and hit him directly in the forehead uh, hard enough to really ring his bell again so he got front and back of the head left him wobbled and disorientated uh, rocked that brain around in his holster uh, I had a bad swing accident when I was a kid I think I've talked about it on this stuff before I was on a rope uh, like a tire swing when the rope broke you know, so I was by myself swinging back and forth and then hit my head on a, on a rock and it knocked me the fuck out. Like knocked me unconscious. I don't even know what part of my head it hit. I guess maybe back of the head too. Uh, no joke. Woke up literally seen double. Wicked headache. Nausea. Seriously disorientated. Uh, I, I'll never forget that like just crazy walk back to my mom's house. Because it wasn't at a park or school. It was just some dude's fucking house that had a rope swing down the road. Fucking Rickins. Um Yeah, classic concussion. Must have been around 10. Came home crying. My mom me talk- my mom told me to go lie down and take a nap, but I was going to keep whining about it. I thought for years that was actually the worst advice you could give someone who just had uh, just been knocked out. You know, go lie down and take a nap. Maybe you'll wake up, maybe not. Teased my mom for years. Turns out taking a nap actually is okay after concussion. If you're lucid, if you're up talking, you know, you're, you're conscious, you're able to walk around, uh, it actually can help your brain uh, recuperate. So maybe my nap kept me from turning into a murderer just left me with a dark and violent sense of humor instead. You know, maybe my b- head injury is what created the dude who talks about this kind of shit all the time, t- teases you about spiders uh, instead of being a murderer. Anyway, without money for proper medical consultation, Alexander Pashush can never take a new doctor. When he could walk, he was told he was fine, except he was not fine. His, uh, his egg was scrambled into a I want to hurt and murder omelet. The previously shy child became quick to anger, often scaring his schoolmates and friends in the park with his newly violent nature. Uh, Doing a lot of creepy stuff. Now, years later, um, after he was captured, medical experts would cite this incident with the swing as a key moment in his metamorphosis into a monster. They think that the swing incident damaged the frontal cortex in the still-developing brain of Pashushkin, the part of the brain that contains neurons that interact with dopamine. Essentially, it's the pleasure-giving part of the brain. Also controls how a person deals with reward, happiness, motivation, and more. The injuries seem to affect his performance in school as well. Uh, Following his accident... Alexander Petrushkin began to get bullied verbally and physically at school. His classmates ridiculed him for being slow. They would often bluntly call him retarded. Uh, Natasha noticed that her son was struggling not only with school, but also social aspects of childhood, attempted to teach him herself to build his confidence, but it didn't make a difference. Eventually, after trying to help him herself, she opted to remove him from school and enrolled him in a school for children with learning difficulties. Uh, Doctors could not diagnose just what disability he had, and he became increasingly withdrawn and troubled. And then Alexander's grandfather saw how much of a struggle school was for him, what it was doing to his self-esteem. And good grandpa asked Natasha if uh, Alexander could live with him, take him under his wing. And then his grandfather encouraged Pashushkin to look for fulfillment outside of school. Each day after school, the two would head to the Park. In one particular corner of the park, uh, men would gather to drink vodka, talk, and play chess. And Alexander loved hanging out with his papa, and these uh, old vodka-drinking chess players, more than he liked hanging out in school, started to started get pretty good at chess. By the time he was a teenager, Pashushkin was whooping his grandpa's drinking buddies at the chess table, which was great for his self-esteem. For the first time, Pashushkin felt the respect of others. He found a place to thrive, and that, sadly, would be the happiest time of his life. And then uh, just a few years after moving in with Papa, uh, his grandfather unexpectedly died, and young Alexander's life fell apart. Sorry I don't have exact dates for those moments in young Alexander's life. They're just is surprisingly very, very little written about his early life in books or interviews or anything. Uh, his grandf- After his grandfather's death, he moved back in with his mother, Natasha, into that very crowded two-room apartment. And he brought with him his grandfather's dog, who he loved dearly. The dog is never named in anything uh, either. Even in interviews, he'll just be, you know, it's uh, this dog. Uh, but he loved it. It was his last connection to his grandfather and to the happy days of beating drunk old men at chess in the park. And uh, Alexander was also beginning to drink heavily himself as a teenager. For many uh, Russian men, drinking vodka together as a way of bonding. But for Pachushkin, he just he just drank alone. And uh, he also got way into pornography. Probably not a good combo for a teen, drinking alone, watching porn. And then Alexander's beloved dog dies for unknown reasons. Based on what we'll hear him say about it at the end of the episode, I don't think it was natural causes and then uh, it seems like this was the last shred of, uh, or the last shred of his com- compassion died with this dog. Because now he starts bringing a video camera with him to Beats the Park and starts recording himself scaring young kids. Not a good sign. A little bit of a red flag. Uh, he loved to watch his little home movies later, you know, taking particular pleasure in re- reliving their frightened expressions. Uh, one time, I guess he dangled a little kid out of a several story high window by his ankles, as the kid squirmed and screamed, Pashushkin took great delight in explaining to him that his life was entirely in Alexander's hands. He reportedly said, You are in my power now. I'm going to drop you from window, and you will fall 15 meters to your death. I'm sure that was fun for that kid, right? It uh, must have been strange to hear about Alexander's arrest years later. Think about how close he came to dying that day. That's when you know your kid is a strong candidate to become a future serial killer. When their hobbies are drinking alone, watching a lot of porn, and recorded themselves scaring kids, uh, at the park and dangling kids out of windows. Uh, that kid does not go on to become a doctor, uh, just even one out of a hundred times or a lawyer or any sort of respected member of the community. Best case. I feel like that kid grows up to work as like a butcher or maybe get a, get a job at an animal shelter, putting pets down. Um, now let's jump to July 27th, 1992 actual dates. Uh, oh, yep. Yeah, we finally got a date now in the timeline again, uh, we will have them pretty regular, I feel like, with the rest of the timeline now. His childhood not properly documented, but a lot of his crimes were, like his first murder. Alexander's 18 years old, attending a vocational school to learn a trade when he asked his school friend, Mikhail Odichuk, to accompany him on a, quote, killing expedition. You know, as high school buddies do. Hey, man, you want to go fishing after school? No. You want to come over to house and drink and watch porn until my mom comes home? No. Well, how about we go kill someone then? Uh, it's like a classic episode of Leave it to Beaver. Just a classic coming-of-age story. The old murdering a stranger with your buddy. Just, gee, Wally, can't you just let me and Eddie just kill someone? You don't have to come along. Just don't tell. Are you crazy? What if mom finds out? Then we'll just kill her too, Wally. All right, Beeve. I don't like it, but I'm no rat. Uh, a few days prior, Alexander had tested the waters with uh, Odachuk and told him that he intended to kill somebody. Otuchuk thought he was joking. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine you would. When Alexander believed that Otuchuk was not going to turn him in or was going to stop him, he invited Otuchuk to tag along as Alexander looked for a victim. Uh, Pachushkin was pumped, I guess. You know, he'd talk about it later. You know, he thought he found a kindred spirit It's a killing buddy. Wouldn't you be my killing buddy? Thank you, Paul. You're swell. Uh, Otuchuk, again, assumes that Alexander's joking. Headed out with him, and then as the two young men walking along the, uh, the oblivious Moscow streets, Pashushkin starts pointing out just possible victims. Like, oh, maybe that guy, maybe maybe that lady. Uh, people he's identifying as being weak or vulnerable. Odachuk realizes this is not a game. And he gets nervous. He makes up an excuse for heading home, and Pashushkin firmly insists that he stay. Pashushkin would reveal all this later in courthouse court testimony. And when Alexander realizes Odachuk is not a kindred spirit, he decides that he is the weak one, And he flies into rage against his new friend and young Mikhail Odechuk is the first person murdered by the chessboard killer. At his trial, Alexander would speak of his first kill saying, this first murder, it's like first love. It's unforgettable. Exactly how he murdered Alexander, not revealed in anything I found, just it says his body was found battered by the police. Odds are he probably followed the same modus operandi. He would use over and over in later killings uh, where he would surprise victims with a hard blow with a blunt object to the back of their head. And then sometimes, you know, follow that with, with repeated blows. Otuchuk's body was found a few hours later. Other classmates told the police he had been with Alexander that day. All signs point to Alexander being guilty. The police then interview Alexander Petrushkin, but he denies everything. And then with no hard evidence and, and, and the crazy amount of red tape, I guess, existed in the Soviet-Russian bureaucracy, they just let him go. Uh, as the body of uh, Mikhail Otuchuk is buried days later, the investigation is dropped, and Alexander uh remains a free man. This reminds me of Chikatilo. Remember that first murder of his? Uh, it was the young girl he lured into his murder cabin in 1978. Nine-year-old uh, Lena Zakanova, stabbed and defiled. The police find her body two days later and then uh, find her belongings in Chikatilo Shack. They find blood drops on the ground near the front door of a shack. But his wife gives him a bullshit alibi, and they're just like, okay, we're we good now. Sorry, we'll bother you. Uh, they arrest some other dude based uh, on the fact that he had no alibi and he had a prior murder conviction, and they just kill him instead, right? <laughs> craziest. And then Chikatilo would kill over 50 more people. Similar story with Alexander. The police had a chance to stop him right away, right after that first kill. But lazy detective work just lets him just, you know, continue. Uh, Just like how almost getting caught that first time kept Chikatilo from killing again for years, the same seems to be true for Pashushkin. By his own admission, he would not kill again for nine years. Uh, Alexander Pashushkin left his vocational school shortly after this, got a job as a shelf stacker in a nearby grocery store that he would keep for the rest of his free life. And then for years, he just led a repetitive, depressing existence. Just uh, He'd go to work at the market in the morning, come home to the little apartment, you know, he'd take the train to work, come back like a little subway train, uh, and then just live in this little apartment. He would share with his mother and sister, and then uh, mother and sister and brother-in-law, and then nephew for the rest of his free life, all cramped in there. And he'd spend the night drinking, watching tons of porn. Uh, hopefully not in front of his mom and sister. That, that, would, that would add another demented twist to the story. Just, Alexander, what I tell to you about porn. I'm grown man, mother. I watch what I want to watch. Must you also get drunk and jerk to porn in my house? My life, mother. My life. But we share a room, Alexander. Can you not jerk in bathroom like a respectable Russian boy? A jerk where I choose jerk, mother. i grown man. Please hand me towel. I'm ready for sleep now. Uh, Also, in 1992, Alexander obsessed with the trial of Andre Chikatilo, the butcher of Rostov. Perhaps the details of that trial inspired that first murder. Pashushkin, fascinated by Chikatilo, starts to fantasize about becoming an infamous serial killer. Pashushkin learns from Chikatilo that it is possible for a serial killer if they're careful enough to remain free and active for many years and possibly decades. Remember, Chikatilo was active for just under 22 years. For Pashushkin, Andre Chikatilo becomes an inspiration becomes determined to then to get more kills than the Rostov Ripper. He finds his passion. Alexander Pashushkin believed that it would be easy to kill more than Chikatilo because in his mind, he was a genius, as demonstrated by his early success with chess. And so Pashushkin uh, devises a killing plan, uh, uh, simple but clever enough to leave no trace or sign that points back to him. He finds a place, the perfect place, to commit his heinous crimes and dispose of the bodies. How, how crazy is? This? I can't think of ever coming across a similar goal-oriented serial killer like this. Like I feel like most of the ones we've sucked so far are killed out of some sick sexual compulsion, like Dahmer, Casey, Ramirez, Golden State Killer, Toy Box Killer, Ridgeway, Bundy, more. You know, Ed Gein, Uh, you know the 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 fiend of Plainsfield or whatever that, uh, was an utter maniac. Wanted to make a skin suit, right? The Zodiac Killer. Seemed to kill mainly to taunt police about his kills after he'd committed them. Seemed to relish the power. For Alexander, it's like he was playing a video game, and he just wanted the high score, or or like he was some kind of extreme athlete and wanted the world record. Uh, clearly, he's a fucking sociopath. You don't you don't put a plan like that in place if there is even a tiny shred of empathy living inside you. On on May seventeenth, two thousand one, uh, nearly nine years after that first kill, Alexander Prashushkin ready to put his plan in motion. He's been plotting for nearly a decade. He returns to the familiar corner of Beatsa Park, where his grandfather had brought him along to play chess, where old men continued to drink vodka and play and hang out and talk and all that. One of these men is uh, Yegenyvi, uh Pronin. Like Pashushkin, Pronin was a drunk, uh, park drunk, living in the outskirts of society. Pashushkin invites him to, to walk through the park with him. Alexander told him it was the anniversary of his beloved dog's death, and he wished to visit the grave and pay his respects. This was like his... He would manipulate people with his story. But I, I go, I miss dog. I had great dog. We'd go, you know, have drink for dog. Like just so manipulative, uh, playing with people's emotions. When, when they reached the lonely spot where Alex said he'd buried his dog years ago, Pashushkin produces a bottle of vodka, offers Pronin to drink. While we don't know what Pashushkin's chosen weapon was on this particular occasion, we do know that later on he would use metal rods or even the vodka bottles themselves to smash the skulls of his victims. So, in all likelihood, he smashes the back of Pronin's head with the with with vodka bottle. Definitely with a blunt object. And then, uh, and then hauls his lifeless body to a nearby well and then dumps the body down it. And then his uh, body plummets 30 feet into the dirty water below, and his plan is working. In a matter of minutes, he'd killed a stranger he had no ties to, and then completely disposes of the body, leaving no evidence of a murder behind. While it might seem like a well would be a terrible place to dump a body... Cause you know, it'd start to stink and then people would eventually find it. Not, not this well, this well fed into the sewer system of the park. So Alexander knew what he was doing. It was a brilliant disposable, uh, disposal, excuse me, system. The Moscow sewer system, the well drained into was vast and winding, went on for miles and miles and miles. If the bodies ever washed up in a place where someone might notice them, uh, and, and that in itself was highly unlikely, it would be almost impossible to trace that body back to that location in beats a park. And so the deaths looked like the, uh, And also, excuse me, the deaths look like they could just be accidents. It's just a little bit of blunt trauma to the back of the head. Um, These people weren't shot, stabbed, or excessively beaten. Uh, And a lot of times they didn't even die from the initial blow. It's like they they would be, you know, they'd fall down in the well, and then the fall would kill them, or they would drown down there in the water. So following the death of uh, Eugenie Pronin, Alexander Prashushkin finds that killing comes easy. Over the next eight weeks, he would lure nine more unsuspecting victims down to their watery deaths. Uh, not knowing how many of those dumped uh, down the well by patrishkin were, were dead when they landed or just merely unconscious. You know, again, you know, probably like dazed by their injury. They, they probably just drowned in the darkness, further complicating this murder investigation. Um, it wouldn't even happen for years. There would be no investigation for a long time. Uh, after each attack, Alexander would rush back to the small shared apartment on, the, you know, that he shared with his family. They would live in his entire free life. And... Um, that apartment he'd live in right up until he would get caught, and he'd just, you know, when he would just move from one cell to another. And when he would come home after murder, he murder, excuse me, he would carefully take out his most prized possession, a chessboard, and then he would black out one of the squares. Um, or I guess on the black squares, you know, make some other kind of marking. Uh, Alexander was methodical when it came to selecting his victims. Since it was not a sexual crime, more really of a just fucked up game. The only criteria was how easily he could get away with killing them. So he just, you know, would look for more outcasts in his neighborhood. He'd look for drunks, the homeless, the unwanted. Uh, He would look for magicians, uh, rec league bowlers, clarinet players, fanny pack collectors, uh, jazz aficionados, pipe smokers, uh, unicycle riders, uh, jugglers, mimes, uh, you know, the lowest of the low, scum of the earth. Obviously kidding about the magicians uh, and everything since then. How interesting would that be if he only, uh, you know, like there was a serial killer who only targeted people who, you know, smoked via a pipe or magicians. For your next trick, I make you disappear, Copperfield. Uh, Pazhushkin targeted people that society would not miss right away, if ever. And even if a family member did care enough after waiting the the requisite three days, you had to wait in Russia at that time before someone officially became a missing person, they would have to then head to the local police station where they would file a missing uh, person's report that would get placed at the bottom of a a who-gives-a-shit pile. Police in Moscow at the time were fucking terrible. They were known more for drinking and bribe taking than doing any kind of actual detective work, and this is why no one makes any connections or notices the number of missing people uh, being reported. Uh, that you know, notices that it was increasing because nobody cared. I'll have examples coming up here soon. The police, absolutely atrocious. Uh, in in this uh, in this suck today, Alexander was, I'm sure, aware of the apathetic attitudes of most local police officers. He also knew there was a ridiculous amount of red tape surrounding the investigations. He knew that the police were understaffed, underpaid. And this just all creates a perfect storm for him just to continue to fly under the radar and just kill at will. July 21st, 2001, Alexander Pashushkin's initial killing spree culminates with the disappearance of Victor Volkov. Uh, he was Pashushkin's 11th victim in just over two months. After Volkov's murder, uh, Alexander slows down but does not stop killing. Also in 2001, he decides, uh, Victor decides that he, uh, excuse me, Alexander uh, decides he's not interested in just killing strangers. He, he makes a list of, of 39 acquaintances. <laughs> this is so that's so crazy to me. 39 acquaintances he also wanted to murder, saying later, The closer the person is to you, the more pleasant it is to kill them. It's more emotional. My God. Uh and to show how little he gave a shit about killing these strangers and acquaintances, he made an effort to kill them early in the afternoon so he could make it home by 8:30 PM to watch his favorite soap opera. A French historical drama called The Duchess de Montserrat. God forbid some park murdering. Get in the way of the Duchess. On uh, February 23rd, 2002, uh, Pashushkin went after an acquaintance and it almost backfired when she didn't die. Uh, don't worry. Thanks to more shitty uh, place work and no one giving a shit about the life of the average Russian living in one of these uh, project apartments, today's timeline will continue for quite some time. This story is bananas. The story of Maria of uh, Vercheva. Uh, that February. This young woman, Maria Verchera, comes to Alexander Petrushkin's attention. She'd grown up in uh, Tatarstan, also known as the Republic of Tatarstan, a, a very rural area of the Russian Federation where jobs are scarce, home of the Tatar's, or uh, uh, actually sometimes it's called um, uh, Tatar's, depending on which pronunciation guide you look at. The correct version seems to be Tatar's. Years li- uh, earlier, the Mongol Empire, established by Genghis Khan, would become allied with the Tatars, uh, and like the Mongols, their warriors were excellent when it came to fighting on horseback, one of the several minority ethnic groups living in Russia. Uh, But today we're not here to talk about the Tatars, or the you know tartar sauce. They become mostly known for. Fish and chips and delightful sauce, they invented, uh, are the uh, Tatars' primary contributions to modern life. Uh, I do remember hearing that saying a lot as a kid, where you haven't lived until you fished and chipped and dipped in Tatarstan. Obviously, that's a lame joke. They didn't invent tartar sauce. And that's not even a remotely catchy saying or a song. It doesn't even rhyme. It doesn't even have a rhythm. No one ever said that until now. Uh, Realizing that the only way to support herself was to move to Moscow and bitterly aware that she could not afford the necessary expensive work papers and permits, uh, the Tatar Maria Veracheva became an illegal immigrant in her own country, became an illegal immigrant in Moscow. Super weird since uh, Tatarstan, part of the Russian Federation at that time. That's like being from Oregon. And then not being allowed to work in California. But they just the way that they, you know, fucking regulated everything in Russia was insane. Russia, what a country! Uh, Maria lived a very lonely existence in Moscow. She had to be very careful that no one discover her illegal status. She was found. Best case scenario would be, de- uh, you know, deportation. Worst case would be imprisonment. And then she meets Alexander Pachushkin. Uh She'd been living this lonely lifestyle for a while. And then she's also pregnant. So I guess she didn't spend all of her time alone. Some other dude just takes off. That seems to be a theme in the story. Just, you know, dude's getting... Lady's pregnant and never sticking around. Uh, This doesn't bother Pashushkin and he befriends her. You know, I guess what does he care? He'll throw anyone down a well. You know, uh, lady, pregnant lady, whatever. If if anything, a pregnant lady would be uh, more appealing probably when it came to his Chikatilo competition. It'd be a two for one. One trip to the park, one push into a well, and you go home and you you black out two chessboard squares. Just in time to watch the Duchess. Um, Pashushkin would later say, "I, I understood immediately that she was upset and offered her company. Uh, he was speaking through a microphone when he said that in his glassed-in defendant's cage in the court. Uh, while he used vodka to lure most of his male victims to the well, uh, he said he would use a different tactic when it came to women. He would say, women always need to have financial interest. Uh, to lure uh, Veracheva, Boshushkin tells her that he has several boxes of brand-new contraband cameras stashed deep inside the park. He knew with the baby on the way, and no father in the picture, she needed money. Uh, I mean, he knew this personally. It was his own mother's story. So he tells Maria that if she'll help him move this merchandise, she can keep half the profit for herself. Uh, She herself would later verify this in court when Pachushkin's finally apprehended. So Maria agrees to go on a walk with Alexander to get the cameras. She goes with him to his favorite isolated corner of Beatsa Park, you know, the place where he'd bring people and talk about his dog and fucking bash him over the head. Along the way, he does offer her vodka, you know, uh, just, you know, he he didn't not use vodka at all with uh, women. Being pregnant, though, she refuses. So the, so he takes a swig himself and, uh, and you know, get, build up the liquid courage needed to try and kill her. He lifts a manhole cover off this well he's been dumping people in and tells Vera Cheva to come closer, telling her, you know, he has the contraband they've come for hidden inside. When she approaches, he just grabs her, just fucking shoves her down the well. Uh, she manages to grab the rim of the opening, and then he grabs her by the hair and smashes her head into the well's concrete walls repeatedly, just bashing her head into the side until she lets go and falls and then she would hear Pashushkin yell as she's falling. Just take a bath there. Uh, she'd later, say, you know, say that to the court. After falling about eight meters down into the well, just over twenty-six feet down, she lands in a sewage pipe about one meter in diameter, a little over three feet, with stream with a stream running through it. About you know seventy centimeters, twenty-seven inches deep. Uh, the little stream has a strong current, and the powerful flow carries her far away from where she's landed. Just like it had carried the bodies of other chessboard killer victims, but unlike other victims, she's not dead. After several seconds underwater, she she manages to, you know, come to the surface and and catch a breath. She's able to remove her jacket and boots to free herself, eventually able to plant her feet and hands on the side of the pipe to keep from being swept away. And that's the only reason she's still alive. If she'd allowed the current to continue to carry her, she would have drowned in a section of the pipe completely filled with water. Uh, She's able to find another concrete well with an iron ladder running up the side. It's amazing that she lived. Uh, She clambers her way up to the top only to be met by the 40-kilogram, almost 90-pound uh, iron manhole cover that was on the top of these wells. She can't lift it enough to get out, but she can uh, you know, I guess, you know, scream loud enough to have a woman hear her cries. And, and that woman alerts two park security guards who then come over, take off the cover, lift the trembling half-naked woman out from the well and call an ambulance. She's taken to the hospital. Both she and her unborn child actually survived the attack. When police arrive at the hospital to question her, She provides them with a detailed description of the attack and of Pashushkin, who she knew by name. And all they have to do now is go question Pashushkin. And the entire case is cracked wide open. A serial killer is caught. uh, And now he's sitting in prison with a much lower body count. But but they do not act on her information. No, instead, they ask to see her immigration papers. And when they learn that she doesn't have any, and they realize that they're going to have to deal with a lot of paperwork, they give her a choice. They inform her that they will ignore her illegal presence in Moscow, if she will drop her claim that she has been assaulted. Holy shit. Russian police, man. Historically, incredibly corrupt and just inept. What a sad example of just being lazy and incompetent. Listen, uh, I get it. It's no fun to be tossing well. It's not enjoyable for you to have headache. I, I hear, I get it. But here thing, if you press charge... Then we have many paperwork. Then now we have hurt heads also. You know, who who needs more hurt heads? Why more heads need be hurted? And look, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be in Moscow. You're supposed to be in uh, Tatarstan making fish dip. So you no press charge. We no send back to land of sauce. Have vodka. Have vodka. It help you and baby forget about a sewer trip. So Maria does not press charges. Even worse, she kept living and working in the same housing project as Pashushka. This is the, the fucking bananas part of the story to me. And she ran into him all of the time. <laughs> like she's trying, she keeps seeing this guy. How fucked up and awkward is that? You're running into the guy who tries to kill you over and over for years. God, what if we what talk to him? Oh, hello, Maria. Look, I feel like I need a dress, pink elephant in the room. Tension thick enough to cut with knife I probably in hindsight should have used to stab you a few times before tossing you in the well pit. Listen, yes, I try kill you. You know it, I know it, but that was many months ago. I want you to know I have no hard feeling about you not dying with unborn child in despair pit I wish had happened. So no need for you to not say hi or avoid eye contact. Let bygones be people who try to kill but fail. Uh, see you tomorrow. Unreal. <laughs> I cannot get over that part of the story. Just having to continue to see that son of a bitch over and over. Years later, when he's finally caught, Pashushkin would tell the court that uh, he almost had a nervous breakdown when he saw her uh, for the first time. You know, just back back at the, <laughs> the apartment complex after the attack. I, I bet he did. Maybe walking out with his mom. Says, Sasha, what's wrong? You look like you see ghosts. I think maybe I do see ghosts, mother. You see, lady? Yes, I see a pretty girl's baby. You know her? Uh, yes, my mother. I once, uh, once tossed her down the well. Leave for dead. It's a long story. Let's go home now. Uh, Pashushkin gets over his initial shock. <laughs> and then this is, uh, this even makes the story even crazier. He eventually asked her if she would like to head back to the park with him. He actually asked her if she wants to take another walk with him. They would both verify this later in court. Oh, my God. Ah, uh, no thanks, Alexander recalls her saying later. Uh, one time was enough for me. The fucking balls on this guy. Hey, Maria, it's me, Alexander. Guy pushing well. Guy- <laughs> i wondering what doing next Saturday. We maybe like hang out in park. Maybe we walk back to well. i curious how you live. Maybe you explain to me so I can become more effective murder person. And did she really just say no, thank you? I have a hard time believing that's the actual word she said. Maria, can I try to kill you again sometime? Uh, no, thank you. I, I politely declined the murder offer. How crazy was life in Russia? I was talking to a friend just yesterday, Johnny Dare. He's awesome, hard rock, metal morning show, DJ in Kansas City. He told me he spent New Year's Eve in uh, Moscow recently, like in the last few years. And he said it's still crazy. And he's been all over the world. And and so it, it takes a lot. This is a guy who has flamethrowers and cannons on his property. I'm not even joking. And he was like, oh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Still a city where you know a lot of shady, crazy shit goes down. Odds are uh, you are not listening to this episode while living in a despair-inducing Moscow government housing project. Uh, you know, our our, Russia, our Russian listener numbers, while they do exist, are not just off the charts. And if you're not in Russia, there's a very good chance you, in addition to having more hope in your life than the average bear, can also take advantage of today's sponsor. Do you see what I did there? Today's time suck. Brought to you by Hims. Uh, As I've said before, I've used finasteride for years. It's medicine that while initially used to only treat enlarged prostate glands, also determined to be very effective in preventing hair loss in men. And compared to my dad and granddad at my age, guess who has more hair? This guy. Same high hairline that's been in my family for generations, but more hair behind the line. And while side effects can occur, I've experienced zero that I notice uh, other than more hair. Results vary, but mine have been great. Also, I've noticed way more hair on my back and on my balls, and my ass. Uh, here's the thing: I don't even wear underwear anymore. I haven't worn underwear in years. I have so much butt and ball hair; it's it's like a fur padding that protects my skin from clothing. I can actually go to the beach naked and and not it's not illegal. I have so much, I have that much back and chest and ball hair. Uh, I can I can not wear a shirt, but still wear a vest, and uh, and that's crazy. I'm no hairier than I was before taking finasteride. Growing fur would not be an acceptable side effect. It's not even true. Uh, the last thing, that's the last thing I should be saying. Uh, uh, when you know, when you start to notice hair loss, though, it is too late. But thanks to science, baldness can be optional. With 4 hail Nimrod, praise Josefina. 4 one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. HIMS connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat, for example, for example, geez, erectile dysfunction. They provide well-known generic equivalents and name-brand prescriptions, not snake oil pills, you know, not gas station counter supplements or shit sold out of the back of a van by a white dude with dreads who smells like he didn't just bake pot brownies, he smells like he is a pot brownie. So order now, uh, you time-sucking meat sacks and space lizards. Get a trial month of hymns for just five bucks today while supplies last. See website for full details. That would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. Go to time suck. That's timesuck. Dot .com slash timesuck for hymns.com slash timesuck. Link in the episode description uh, or just push the uh, hymns button in the sponsor section of the Time Suck app. Okay. Luckily, while Maria would see the man who attempted to murder her, uh, she would not actually be murdered by Pashushkin. And then just a few weeks later, Pashushkin almost murders again and almost, but does not get caught. the His murder spree uh, should have for sure ended in 2002. On March 10th, 2002, 27-year-old Alexander sees a group of teenagers at the train station that he, uh, that he goes to to head to his grocery store job, and he approaches one of them, 13-year-old skater Mikhail Lobov, offers him some vodka and cigarettes. You know that's that's not creepy. Let's let's go drink in park, kid. Let's go drink, it's smoking park. It's fun. Um, the kid goes with him, uh, and then when they uh, go to Pashushka's you know, preferred killing spot. You know, he follows the procedure, hits the kid over the head with a surprise blow, pushes him down the well, and then takes off. Well, luckily, Mikhail's jacket catches on a piece of metal inside the well, saving him from a plunge into the icy waters. He's able to climb out. First thing he does is find a police officer. He informs of the the assault. Just like Maria, a few weeks ago, he describes the assault and describes Alexander Pashushkin in detail. And again, the police just do not give a shit. Why so many people fall down the wheel? Ah. Why can't people be more careful around wells? You don't want man to throw you down well? Well, here here advice. Don't go near well. Why you want to give me paperwork? I tell, I need to tell Pashushkin. Next time I see him, you need to push harder. If going to murder, make sure no leave trace, no trace, no paperwork. That murder I like, one who leaves no trace. Um, no one interviews Pashushkin. No one bothers to write a report. Unlike Maria, though, Mikhail just doesn't forget about it. He doesn't just, you know, wait for Pashushkin to stop by and ask him to head back into the park. You know, just, hello, Mikhail. I'm wondering if you, me, Maria, maybe we all have drink together. We joke about old times. You two get along well. You have, uh, you know, how you say common ground. You you both push down well in same ground. We, How about we play uh, best of three? Mikhail waits for Pashushkin. Accompanied by his friends, Mikhail returns to the metro station, that train station where he first saw Alexander. They wait until they see him again, and they do. They see him getting off a train. He's headed home after finishing his shift, and then Mikhail excitedly tells a a police officer nearby what happened, points at Pachushkin. That's the fucking guy right there. That's the guy who did it. Again, he's he's ignored. So then Mikhail runs up to Pachushkin and attacks him, screaming, clawing at his face, and then the police take action against Mikhail. They grab this kid and tell him to go home before he's arrested. And then the chessboard killer just fucking calmly walks home. How enraged and disgusted are you if you're Mikhail Lobov in that situation? How disheartening. First police officer doesn't care if you're attacked. Second police officer doesn't care. Then the police threaten you. When you attack, you're an attacker. And then uh, Pazhushkin himself. Or, and then this is, uh, yeah, to, to add to the craziness of 2002. So now, two people in a few weeks have been like, that is the guy who did it. And no one cares. Then he himself goes to the police station in this weird drunken night in 2002. He's already killed at this point anywhere from 20 to 30 people. He stumbles drunk into the local police station and loudly proclaims that he has killed a lot of people and that he will continue to kill a lot of people because that is what I must do. That's a quote. He goes in there, this is what I must do. I must continue to kill. Do you hear? Do you understand I've killed so many? Instead of arresting him or at least questioning him, the on-duty police officers literally laugh him off. Just say, get out of here. Go on. You silly goose. Get home. He had to have felt invincible at this point. No one touched Pachushkin. I above law, police want me to kill. Russia wants me to kill. A dead dog in park wants me to kill. Oh, man. I hope my neighbors can hear that. That's fun. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hope the people are working above the suck dungeon can be like, what in the fuck did we just hear? What, who was he talking about killing? In 2003, Pachushkin's sister Katya gets married but doesn't move out. We mentioned this uh, earlier a little bit. Uh, she marries a man also named Alexander who also pushes people down wells. Uh, he would be known as the sewage strangler. Katya's husband would uh, would be charged with killing 11 people between 2004 and 2007, now sitting in the same prison as his brother-in-law, and that's not true. Uh, bad, bad enough that Katya's brother is continuing to kill uh, you would never trust anyone again if your brother and husband were pushing people down wells in a park. Uh, Katya and her husband, uh they share Katya's room uh with their with their young son, and now there's five people living in this little tiny flat of, you know, Mother Natasha's. Ugh. It was already crowded with three people, now there's five people there. The spring of two thousand three finds Alexander Pashushkin on the lookout for his thirty-second victim. The man he found was a local, uh, another another drunk person in the park, you know, like many of his previous victims, and honestly like Pashushkin himself. When, when he's not killing, he's just getting drunk, often alone, just, you know, watching porn, stocking shelves at work. But Shushkin asked his new companion if he had a wish, and the man replied that he wanted to stop drinking. Oh, I wish I could stop drinking. And then Alexander calmly told him that this would be the day. Oh, you are for sure gonna stop drinking today. And then he smashed him in the head with a vodka bottle. And then he kept hitting him, uh, and hitting him and hitting him, and eventually caved the defenseless man's skull in. A little more aggressive with that kill. And then he uh then he shoved the vodka bottle into the dude's head. Uh, into a skull, and then threw the body down the well and took off. Why is he doing this? Well, because he feels like he's good at it. Just like he loved the feeling of playing and winning chess matches in bits of park when he was a teenager. You know, he loved to beat the old drunk men in chess. Well, now he enjoys, uh, you know, beating these same old drunk men to death in a new game. Another strategy game of sorts, can I kill you and not get caught? And he was even better at this game than he was at chess. Uh, No one was safe around Pachushkin. He killed both total strangers, acquaintances, neighbors, uh, his first kill was one of the only friends he had. On November 15th, 2003, Pashushkin's neighbor Konstantin Karpov left his apartment to buy cigarettes before watching a football match on television and Pashushkin invites him to the park for a drink. Smashes him over the head three times with a hammer this time. Changes it up a little bit. Throws him down the murder well. And then uh, incredibly, this guy also lives. Third person now. Third person in uh, just a little over a year who has survived an attack and a toss down a well. This guy manages to climb out of the sewer, but due to the head trauma, he doesn't remember the attack. Uh, Jeez, only his relatives testified in court about what happened to him. And then Pachushkin sees this guy in the street about two weeks later and offers him to take him out to the park again for another drink. Uh, He declined, Pachushkin would later tell the court, also saying, I asked others to go drink and they accepted the invitation. Uh, There's a lot of freeloaders. That shows kind of what he thinks of people. You know, I just, you know, if they accepted his offer, nice offer for a drink, then they were freeloaded to him and then they're worth killing. This guy's unbelievable. I can't think of another murderer I've ever read about who so openly keeps trying to to kill the same people he tried to kill previously and didn't <laughs> just, I can't. Hey, Constantine, I was hoping that you, me, a nice single mother named Maria, uh, this cool skate kid, Mikhail, I love to take all three of you to well. We could, uh, we could drink to, uh, to finishing business. If only Alexander had access to Audible, maybe he would have spent less time killing. Why can't that sentiment be incorporated into uh, maybe a new slogan for Audible? Can you imagine? Audible, better than pushing strangers down a death well. Time Suck is brought to you today by Audible. What would it look like if we all listened more? Listening to audiobooks motivates us, inspires us, brings us closer together. There's no better place to listen than Audible because now Audible members get even more exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, audio originals, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now with Audible originals, the selection's gotten even more custom, uh, you know, or more selection with custom content made just for members. Every month, Audible members get one credit good for any audiobook they choose, plus two Audible originals from a changing selection that they can't get anywhere else. They can also access to uh, audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime even if you cancel your membership. Didn't like your audiobook? Okay, exchange it. No questions asked. Uh, in preparation for the Halloween week suck on Ed and Lorraine Warren, the couple behind the stories that led to the horror blockbuster films The Conjuring and Annabelle, I'm listening to The Demonologist. The extraordinary career of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It's a great listen. Great to get ready for that episode. For over five decades, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been considered America's foremost experts on demonology and exorcism. With over 3,000 investigations to so their credit, they reveal what actually breaks the peace in haunted houses. So check it out. Get a head start on that Halloween suck. Check it out when you start a 30 day trial, and your first audiobook is free when you do. Go to audible.com slash timesuck or text timesuck to 500-500. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com slash timesuck or text timesuck to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. Link and text info in today's episode description. And now back to our regularly scheduled constant Russian murdering. One cold night in November 2005, the police were finally called to uh, Bitska Park, or Beatsa Park, for one of Pashushkin's murders. Finally, finally an investigation. A body has been discovered. Nikolai uh, Zakharchenko, 63 years old, former policeman. Nikolai is thought to be Pachushkin's 41st victim. That means that at least 40 people vanished before the police were even aware that there have been some murders going on in the same fucking park. I mean, Pachushkin's already coming to the police station confessed. You know, two of his almost murder victims begged the police to uh, question him. So maybe, maybe they should have been kind of aware something was going on. Uh, but now they can't blow it off any longer. The detective, uh, detectives at the interior ministry and the prosecutor general's office realized there is a serial killer in Moscow. They take over the investigation, take it away from the police, the local police. Uh, you know, uh, why didn't this, and why didn't this guy get tossed down the well? This, this latest victim? Well, it seems like Pashushkin was either getting lazy or... Or tired of people not realizing he was killing all these people, I mean, his main motivation is notoriety. His main motivation is to kill more people than Chikatilo, to uh, to become infamous for doing so. And you d- and you don't get that if nobody knows the killings are happening. Uh, shortly after Nikolai's body is found, Alexander, his uh, mother Natasha, half sister Katya, they watch the news and a report about the uh, killer, now dubbed the uh, Beats the Park Maniac, comes on. And Pashushkin reportedly stood up in the apartment and shouted, "Fuck yes!" That is me. Mother, I am on TV. You see, mother, I be bigger star than Tilo. And my cock is rock hard. I prove it. Uh, He pulled his pants down and he pointed his erect penis first at his mother, then at his sister, then at his brother-in-law. And he said, you'll respect me. You'll respect what I've done. And he pulled his pants back up. He sat down and said, enough of news. The Duchess of uh, Montreux will be on in a few minutes. Change channel or or get thrown in death well. Your choice. Uh, no, of course not. Alexander began leaving more bodies out in the open, though, after that. After that initial news story, he stops using the well. He loves the attention he's getting. He wants to feed it, feed the media, right? The story of the Bitsa Park maniac is growing. All of Moscow, captivated, terrified by his murders. More and more bodies being found. And eventually, in early 2006, the powerful Interior Ministry assigns uh, uh, Detective Andrei uh, Suprenko, uh, to the head of the investigation, it was clear to him because of the lack of police work up until this point that the killer was not going to be caught until he struck again and made a mistake. Sadly, despite those earlier investigations or accusations, excuse me, there were no official reports made of any of the survivors uh, from his you know, early murder attempts. And then on June fourteenth, two 2006, uh, 32-year-old Pashushkin makes the mistake that Suprenko uh, was waiting for. And uh, on the night of June 14th, 2006, 36-year-old Marina Moskalivia, uh follows the usual pattern her life followed into. She got up, sent her son to school before heading to the grocery store where she worked with Pashushkin, one of his coworkers, store where they'd worked, uh, where she'd worked with one of Russia's most prolific serial killers for quite some time. Before uh, Marina started work uh, at, at the store, another woman, Larissa Kulginia, uh, had worked there, and then one night on her way home, she had disappeared, never to be seen again. So the Beats the Park Maniac had created a job opening for her, and now he was going to open that position once again. Uh, Marina may not have known about Larissa's disappearance, but like the rest of Moscow, she had to have heard of the Beats the Park Maniac. So uh, not the best choice to go for a walk in the park, you know, after work. Uh, you know, that night with Pachushkin. However, he was a co-worker. For all we know, you know, maybe the the two had known each other and kind of become friendly. And, you know, maybe they've been talking about how sick the Beats Park Maniac was for for weeks or months in the break room. Uh, Before they left uh, for their walk, Marina returned to her flat and, unbeknownst to Pachushkin, left a note for her son telling him where she was going with whom she would be uh, heading there with. She also put Pachushkin's phone number on the note. Her son then came home that night to an empty house, finds a note. After a few hours, his mother still hadn't come home. So he's watching, uh, and then while he's watching TV, news bulletin reports that a woman's body had been found in, B- in the Park. So he calls Pashushkin, um, and Pashushkin tells him that he hadn't seen Marina in two months, which was a stupid lie to tell someone, even a kid, because they worked together. Of course they had seen each other. But so now he looks guilty. Pashushkin then claims he's too busy to talk to the kid and hangs up. And then the kid calls his dad. And after listening to his son, his dad then calls the police, tells them about the note, and then lead investigator, Suprenko, You know, he's told about all this. He knows he has this guy, but he knows he also needs more info than the note to bring Pashushkin in on. More evidence, I guess. So the note itself, you know, interesting, but not damning, not completely. So he starts watching closed caption television footage of Marina heading home that night, sees her with Alexander Pashushkin getting off the metro and heading in the direction of the park. And then two nights later on June 16th, 2006, uh, as the clock approaches midnight, Pachushkin's mother, Natasha, hears someone pound on the door when she opens it. A column of men in riot gear push past her, find Alexander Pachushkin, immediately arrest him, take him down to the station. Officers search the flat for evidence, find Pachushkin's chessboard. 60 of the 64 squares had been marked. Uh, this is the origin, obviously, of his nickname and why there is speculation that he killed up to 60 people or perhaps even 63, as he would claim in court later. Uh, the news broke that Alexander was the beats park maniac. He's soon dubbed now the chessboard Killer. Uh, the Kunkovo district was shocked to hear that one of their own was the murderer. The daughter of Boris of Fedosova, Pachushkin's 36th victim, recalled later that there was a total shock when we heard it was Sasha Pachushkin. Remember, he's called Sasha by kind of uh, acquaintances, family. She recalled the serial killer was always very calm, always by himself, Uh You know, uh, Fidosva, who grew up with Pachushkin's half-sister Katya, had known Alexander for almost all of her life, and she would go on to attend all 46 days of his trial. Natasha found it odd how he preferred to kill people he knew, people who who he worked with, lived near, befriended in the park. Indeed, Pachushkin did befriend befriend people just so he could kill them. Uh, How sick is this? One of his favorite books was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, like for real, all part of his strategy. This is all just a game for him. Investigator Suprenko spent hours then interviewing Alexander one-on-one leading up to his trial. And apparently, Pashushkin loved the time they spent together. It made him feel important, Suprenko would say. He said, uh, I told him, I admired him, and he liked that. And then he opened up. It was very important for Pachushkin that people think he was a hero. So I made him feel like a hero. Hero. How did Pashushkin rationalize that? Uh, I guess in very much the same way that his idol, Chikatilo, did. He convinced himself that he was just getting rid of burdens on the state. Just, you know, getting rid of people not contributing enough to society. The riffraff, just cleaning up the riffraff. Even though he was just as riffraffy, or more so, than they were. Uh, Suprenko also said that we were in shock when we realized how many people he'd killed. In the beginning, we only had 13 bodies. And then Pachushkin began to tell us that he'd killed more than 60 people. Psychologists who examined him concluded that Pachushkin was narcissistic. Yeah, and had a personality disorder, but ultimately was sane. for the serial killer, the process of preparing to kill and killing is an, it is, is an erotic experience, says Alexander uh, Bukonosvi, the psychiatrist and serial killer expert who helped authorities identify Pachushkin's hero, Chikatilo, in the early 1990s. Uh, Suprenko exploited Pachushkin's narcissism for a killer so hard to catch building up the case against him once he was caught was very, very easy. Pachushkin just gave them all the information they wanted and more because he wanted them to find the bodies. He wanted to add to his body count so uh, you know, so he could pass Chikatilo. That was the game. you know. And he was just happy that, just like his hero, Chikatilo, uh, his trial is now going to be must-watch TV. In a televised uh, confession following his arrest, Pajushkin said he routinely invited his victims for a drink by the grave of his pet dog before attacking them when they were drunk. He would say, for me, a life without murder is like a life without food. And then this is the creepiest thing he said. He said... I felt like a father to all these people, since it was I who opened the door for them to the afterlife. Uh, okay, uh, a little insight into his uh, motivation. Come on, come back to well with me. I try, I not try to kill you, but I give you life. I help you through door to another world. I, I push you yeah, through door. I'm more a uh, spiritual travel agent, more father person than killer. Uh, on October 24th, not, uh, 2007, just over 16 months after being apprehended, Bashushkin found guilty of murdering 48 people. Uh, they couldn't get the—he confessed to more, but they just couldn't find evidence. They couldn't find the bodies, so they couldn't, uh, you know, charge him with the other murders. Took the jury only three hours to come to that conclusion. Sentenced to life in prison because Rus- Russia no longer was using the death penalty. Uh, also sentenced to have his first 15 years of uh, be served in solitary confinement. Um. Yeah, that he was found guilty of killing only 48 people is uh, significant because that's five short of the total Andre Chikatilo was convicted of. So he didn't he didn't reach his goal. You know, This what is big deal? Uh, what is big deal? More like who big deal? Not Pachushkin. He nothing. He, he nothing. You take that hard uh, dick amateur. You take him out of here. No, you know Chikatilo Pachushkin. You know even Russell. You sneaky, tricky guy. You not even eat one part of person. What, what point? You not even come one time. I, I would find you, I eat you for breakfast. Maybe literally. I fuck you, Petrushkin. For, for sure, literally, in that case. Why even suck Petrushkin? Weak, no strong Russian, uh, not even a, a jerk cock. Not really. I Maybe, maybe I missed that part. I fall asleep for a little while, Cummins. Yes, I call you that person. I call you by name now. I watch you from window. A shadow Chikatilo sometime when you suck. You know better than Chikatilo. I, you put in Pachushkin instead of me, I fucking, I kill you. Uh, unlike Chikatilo, Pachushkin also never killed any prostitutes. Uh, which does make another weird dark time set character uh, happy. M'bog-bog, playboy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, appreciate it. taking it easy on the easy prey. not adding darkness to dark days. No rough stuff or degradation. No copulation, relation, penetration. No voyeuristic masturbation, even post mortem ejaculation. You feel me? You dig your hair? You follow the world of chicken joke. No virtue in the sneaky ways of a bad man. Pushing sadness and madness on folks already living in drunk days devoid of gladness. Feels like no one, one fox. we chasing no chickens, hens. Even roosters in the coop. And that don't mean he no less than a dead eye pile of evil poop. Uh, that was 70s pimp Chicken Joe's way of saying that he doesn't think for a second that Alexander Pachushkin is a good dude he he's just glad there wasn't an openly sexual element to his crimes and that he didn't at least you know prey on sexual uh, workers uh, If you're a new passenger on the time sub train yeah that was that was crazy. We got a few characters that we can't seem to convince to leave the show. All right despite the crimes he uh, confessed to committing a week after his conviction Pachushkin's attorneys file an appeal. Uh, requesting a more lenient sentence, he has just been convicted of killing 48 people, and they're like, "Yeah, we'd like to, we'd like to ask the court for some leniency." The court announces their decision about the appeal uh, <laughs> on Valentine's Day, 2008. While his mother does not appear in court to hear this verdict, Natasha, uh, that that neighbor, you know, uh, Silva, uh, Pashutchen's lawyer, Pavel Ininkov or Ivankov, excuse me, the, the panel of three judges, the prosecutor. Uh, they're, obviously, they're all there. A uh, bunch of bunch of teens, I guess, uh, whispering into cell phones, too scared to look at the bits and Park maniac, or Beats of Park maniac, the chessboard killer, who, who looks bored, I guess, then amused and angry. Uh, Pachushkin never looks directly at the video camera in his cell during this little uh, sentencing. He's talking to someone that no one can see, just kind of muttering to himself. He has his little black and button-down shirt and black T-shirt. He laughs for a moment, and then, uh, then, you know, grin turns into a frown turns into a look of incredulity, uh, morphs into another stare. And uh, while this is all going on, there's, you know, flash bulbs exploding, newspaper reporters are, you know, in the courtroom too, people wailing, one woman screaming, where is my body, talking about her husband, some other person who disappeared in uh, in, the, in those woods. And then the judge asks Pachushkin if he wants to say anything before his, uh, the final verdict on his appeal. And he just says, niet it, niet it, it. Just no, there's nothing. And then his lawyer, uh, Pavel, uh, loosens his tie and gives his final appeal to the judge about why his uh, why the judge should have mercy and why they should reduce the sentence to 25 years. That's fucking crazy. So, you know, about six months for every person he was convicted of killing. How big of a piece of shit do you feel like in that situation if you're the defense attorney asking for that? How do you even do that? Uh, Your Honor, I, I understand that my client has been found guilty of killing 48 people. That's not cool. It's messed up. And I understand that he wanted to be charged with roughly 12 more murders, but wasn't because you know no one could find bodies and uh, you know no one could remember names. and I know that he said for me life without murder is like life without food but hear me out, I just feel like a good candidate to be given second chance. He listen, he has positive qualities. He very good at stocking grocery store shelves. Uh, he like, uh, he popular fan of, of soap opera and look while his store does not want him back because he murdered some of the employees. I'm sure another store would be happy to have him. Uh, it took the judges less than an hour to rule on his appeal. They declare, of course, that the original sentence stands. Can you imagine if they're like, all right, not 25 years. That's, that's fine. Uh, Pajushkin will never go free. As he sh- as he should not. Uh, they announced that soon he's going to be moved from his jail in Moscow, where his mom was able to visit him twice a month and bring him cigarettes, cheese, and salted lard, uh, which I guess was something he actually wanted. I guess that speaks to how terrible uh, food is in Russian prisons. Just, Mother, you must bring me food. I'll starve here. Please bring me something better to eat, like um, uh, like rancid skunk meat, or perhaps salted lard. Uh, Pachushkin is taken to the impossible-to-escape, quote-unquote, Polar alpine Colony at the Carp Village in the Arctic north of Siberia, a notorious maximum security prison uh, where he is still sitting there in solitary confinement, where he is uh, not even allowed a chessboard for company, and that takes us out of today's Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Well, I have some more thoughts to share on the chessboard, Killer, and uh, and I'll share some of some of his thoughts as well. Little insights into how his his mind works. Uh, before I share them, I want to mosey on over to YouTube and check in with the idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. 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 There is surprisingly little media available, at least stuff written in English, about Alexander Pachushkin. Uh, there I did find a shitty BBC documentary on YouTube called uh Russia's serial killer Alexander Bashushkin. And the BBC is usually so good. I'm usually a huge fan. Uh, this this is not their finest work. Uh there's there's a couple hundred comments underneath though. So I started peeking in there. Figured I could figured I could find a few, few comments that would provide some laughter. And uh, and I did. And I did. I, I right away I found that Nathan Yeager too, who cracked me up posting I'm surprised everyone in Russia isn't a serial killer. It's a country containing only snow, Adidas clothing, and unfinished apartment buildings. <laughs> and then Kaylee Beth cracks me up further posting, also bears and gymnasts. I gotta say, I love Russian jokes. I love them. Uh, but Island Mike does not. User Island Mike does not think it is funny. And replies with, talk that shit you just did behind a screen. But in Russia, out in the open and see what happens to your snowflake ass easy island mike you know you hear a name like island mike and you you expect a chill attitude island mike has zero chill in him and and how is what he did uh this you know how is what uh this original poster nathan did related to being a snowflake a snowflake is a slur for someone who's super liberal uh being easily offended nathan didn't say anything conservative or liberal didn't express being offended in any way You're a snowflake, Mike, Island Mike, you you whiny, soft-skinned, soft-headed baby. Uh, User Banana Split was as confused as I was about Pachushkin not getting caught after throwing that pregnant woman down the well, only to have her survive and report him to police. She posts, why on earth didn't police do anything when he was named after pushing the pregnant woman down the sewer? She was a survivor of a horrific killer and gave a graphic statement, yet they decide not to investigate. Very troubling. I can't even. And Arshad Butt has the perfect answer, writing, because they are lazy fucks. Ding, 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 ding. Nailed it, Arshad. Bonus points for being so succinct with your answer. That's exactly right. They they were lazy fucks. That's why they didn't do it. Uh, User Link's dominance made me laugh out loud by posting... (laughs) By posting, vodka bottles don't kill people. People do. Ah, shit. I think he just won the thread links. I love it. Vodka bottles don't kill people. People kill people. User (laughs) Kevin Cato also really cracked me up. Uh, The footage is horribly grainy on this video. I don't know. It's just recorded. (sighs) It's terrible, this, this documentary. I mean, I'm sure the original footage isn't terrible, but whatever the YouTube stuff is, it's real, real bad. And so Kevin posts, this was shot entirely on my 2005 Motorola flip phone. It's thread, it's bringing the comedic heat today. I love it. And then we have, as usual, a virtue signaler, a virtue signaler, excuse me, in the group, user Vortex, who posts, I hate killers so much. How dare you take someone's life and destroy so many lives? Just sick. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. hmm No, I think we can all agree. Uh, yeah. Pretty sick. hmm Pretty hateable. Uh, and, then, and then immediately, troll Mike Nikki. Tries to rile up Vortex, replying with, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I know that's dumb, but this post is only from two months ago. And it is hilarious to me that some people are still shitting on Hillary. She lost. We all know that. Whether you love her or hate her, yeah, it's been a while now. Let it go. Uh, but if you don't let it go, please keep posting Hillary Clinton. It's so silly and juvenile, but it does make me laugh every time I hear it. Hillary. Clinton. Uh, I thought this thread was going to be nothing but funny, or at least amusing posts. And then I wasn't going to find true idiot gold, but then I found it. Ugh! I found a nice little nugget of idiot gold. Oh, there's gold in them there threads. There's gold down there, I tell you, uh, to end on. User Sager Dylan does not seem to understand how war works and commits what I think is a big logical fallacy here, uh, posting such a waste he would thrive in a war zone, send him to kill Taliban or ISIS. Uh, no, he wouldn't. I don't think he would thrive, Sager, because, you know, nothing he did was soldier-like. He wasn't uh, sniping people with precision shots from far away, displaying that kind of military talent. He wasn't overpowering armed enemies in a chaotic, bullets-flying-all-over-the-place urban setting. He wasn't using uh, impressive organizational or logistical skills to coordinate a missile strike or or great teamwork skills to work co Uh, to work cohesively, you know, with his unit in a dangerous, high-stress battle zone. He wasn't following orders, keeping himself in peak physical condition, being mentally ready. He was a sad, antisocial loner slash loser, pretending to befriend drunk, vulnerable old men, and occasionally uh, overly trusting women and teens in order to lure them to a secluded area of a park. And then when they're not looking, bash them in the head with a vodka bottle or a hammer and push them into a well. I don't think that particular skill set translates into the battlefield. Uh, not sure how often the opportunity comes up to ask whoever you're fighting to uh, take a walk in the park, share some vodka, you know, Then tell them there's something you want them to look at in a manhole or in a little hole in a well, and then push them down there, and then you know bash in their head, whatever. Or like, or I guess you'd bash in their head before pushing down there. Like, like when would that kind of opportunity come up in in a battle zone? Just it, it's a Taliban person, eh? Hey ISIS fellow! Stop shooting for a second! Listen! Why we do this? It's a beautiful day! I have a nice bottle of vodka! Well why, why now we have drinks? Listen, I don't I don't want to be downer, but today is tough day for me. Today is uh <clears throat> Today is anniversary of dog dying, so if you could, could you please put gun down for a second? Take break from war. I have I have some of what you like. I stash. I have whatever you like. I have it. Uh, by manhole cover in park for serious. Come on, let let us drink. I show you. Let let me open door to Allah for you and push you through door, please. Idiots of the internet. Uh, We learned a lot about what uh, Alexander Pashushkin did. We haven't heard much directly from him, though. So let's change that. Chessboard Killer has done some interviews from behind bars. He he loves attention. We know that. He's given us some insights into how his mind works. So here are some of his thoughts that I found interesting. Regarding being incarcerated, he says, when I was brought to prison, I was not in good mood. (laughs) I love the he to say that. I I was cranky. I don't like being brought to prison. Um... Now it's gotten better. I have completely adapted. They have ideal water here. It's so hot. I even have to dilute it with cold water. Do you know how much time they give me to take a shower? Five whole minutes. That's a quote of his. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, that that really he was just transferred from one cell to another. Like outside of killing people, he worked in the same store, stocking shelves every week. Then just went home and and went to that tiny cramped apartment, which is really like a one-bedroom apartment. Getting drunk, jerking out to porn when he's not hanging out with his, you know, the other four people living there. Uh, He seems genuinely excited about his five-minute shower situation. He probably hadn't had a five-minute hot shower in his life before prison. Weirdly happy about the hot water. Uh, Here's what he thinks of the value of human life, as you can imagine. Not much. He says, human life is not too long. It is cheaper than sausage. My lawyer, I would cut him open like a fish. I would have killed him like an insect. I would receive much pleasure from the process. I would cut him up and make belts out of his flesh. But as for remembering everyone I killed, who and when and where that uh, I don't remember. I don't even care to remember. Not surprised by his outlook here. Sounds like he uh sounds like he, had a, uh, he sounds like he thought he had a chance at that appeal. Pretty delusional. Uh like you're gonna get out after that. Like look, so I kill a lot of people. I not killed them in too bad way. Come on, I push and hole. I mostly I just open door to next world I should hotel doorman spend life in prison I different kind of doorman Um, as you might imagine he doesn't have much use for religion uh, but he was surprisingly involved in politics as far as a citizen uh, which actually is pretty similar to Chikatilo Chikatilo loved being a member of the communist party if you remember Uh, took it very seriously and Pachushkin says I was baptized when I was three months old the baptism took place but I did not want it (laughs) I love that he talks about like when he was three months he could think of everything I, will, I remember being baby remember thinking no no I don't I don't want this but I, I don't have words yet Now he, then he says, well, I do not think that someone is there. I can also say that I will not read the Bible or write autobiography. I have never prayed to God, never will. this is a beautiful fairy tale for the weak, for those who sacrifice themselves to the state, uh, men as they age, increasingly dream that someone is there who is all-powerful. Well, what is it? As for voting, in all my 33 years, I have never missed a chance to vote. <laughs> That's pretty fucking weird, that last part. Yeah, if I can kill a lot of people. You know what? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't really care about anything. Fucking God, nothing, you know, whatever. But voting? Yeah, yeah. No, man, it's my civic duty. Um, he also talked about dreams. All of these uh, come. From, all of these uh, statements, by the way, come from an interview he did with a Russian newspaper, Tvoi din By the way, uh, regarding dreams, Pachushkin says, "I have nightmares. A dog. It lived with me a long time. She died. It was my fault. I treated it. Uh, how to say? Uh, not very. She could have been saved. It was a bad situation. It, it left something in my subconscious. So all the shit he did." And he feels guilty about maybe doing something to that dog of his. I don't know, maybe maybe like he, he left it in a place where it hurt itself. Maybe somebody did something to it that he could have stopped. Maybe he did something. You know, he's upset. Uh and that left something in his subconscious. Not not pushing person after person down a death hole. So uh interesting to me that the chessboard killer, probably not a probably not a uh ideal babysitter, but possibly an excellent dog sitter. He also spoke about friendship, uh, kind of, saying, first of all, what is a friend? That is not someone who gives you 100 rubles or lets you stay over for a night. And secondly, my principal, to the grave, and that's it. Yes, I received more pleasure from killing people whom I knew personally. But I also found a way to get strangers, and that is not easy. Their relatives said that they would never go somewhere with stranger, but to me... They are flying despite the difference in age. A youngster, Corrigine, is one of his victims. I was leaving the police office and I knew that everywhere was an ambush, but I remained free. So That's one of his last ones that he got away with. Uh, not sure what much of that had to do with friendship. Doesn't sound like he ever had any friends. Certainly not as an adult. Uh, a friend is not someone who gives you 100 rubles, lets you stay at their place. I think that is what a friend is, actually. And then he just quickly starts talking about killing people. Just to not give a fuck about people in general. He speaks a little about forgiveness. Uh, Does he feel any remorse? Uh, No. He says, No, I do not regret it. Uh, I do not regret it. So much strength and time spent. Repent? I do not repent. This is again a dull formality. It will not change my sentence. Since I was young, I dreamed. Everything was different back then. And it all turned out the way I wanted it to. I knew that they had nailed me when they started pressing me about 12 victims, but then they were all surprised that I'd actually killed 60. I watched show about me on TV. Dennis, my classmate, tells camera, when we learned that he had committed these crimes, it was a shock. Others said I was a rare case, killing for sake of killing. There is no motivation, neither race, nor sex, nor religion. Even someone wrote, Pachushkin himself, doesn't know yet that the history of criminology is changed. That it didn't account for someone such as him that he will go down in history forever. So he definitely doesn't give a shit about having killed anyone. No regret, no remorse, and uh, obviously very proud of his notoriety. I I feel like they uh, they should bring back the death penalty with this guy. Make an exception. Like, what good does it do to anyone to keep this guy alive in a cell? He's loving it. He truly doesn't seem to mind. He's not being punished. In his mind, he's a star. You know, some macabre celebrity. So why let him to continue to enjoy his life? Why not just find a well near the prison and toss him down that hole? And then randomly, one more thing. Just I thought this was so ridiculous. He ends his interview talking about travel, like as if he doesn't realize he will never get out. Uh, here's what he has to say. He says, I would like to live in Mexico. First, it is warm there. And secondly, there are forests. Maybe there I could live in a different way if I was there. And then the and then the reporter talking to him says it Mexico doesn't have for us and he replies Do you want to tell me there are no jungles like Freddy Krueger said Elm Street exists in every city Ah just for a second sound like he wasn't going to give a creepy answer uh, Maybe I could be different you know in Mexico and then he goes straight to Elm Street just exists in every city just right right to evil again Maybe I change in Mexico Maybe I different Porchushkin, Maybe I drink no vodka Maybe I drink tequila. I stay away from parks and whales. I hang out on beach. I chill. I walk with strangers on beach. And then uh, I bash heads with tequila bottles at sunset. That is what I do. I push an ocean. Let tides take body to sea. I fucking petushkin. Maybe I don't play chess, but I play backgammon. I become backgammon killer. Uh, Time now for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Alexander Pachushkin, a.k.a. the chessboard killer, a.k.a. The, Beats the Park maniac, convicted of killing 48 people between 1992 and 2006, may have killed 60 people. The number of squares he had marked off on that chessboard, maybe 63. He did say 63 at one point during his trial. Uh, so just a handful, maybe even just one square away from his sick goal of completing that chessboard. Number two, another strange goal of Pachushkin was to have his official body count be higher than that of his idol, Andrei Chikatilo, the butcher of Rostov, who was convicted of killing 52 people between 1978 and 1990, four more than Pachushkin. so at least he doesn't have the demented satisfaction of having the record while he rots in prison. Number three, strangely, Pachushkin may have never grown up to be a murderer at all if he wouldn't have fallen off his swing when he was a kid and scrambled his egg. Maybe if I hadn't hurt my head in a swing accident as a kid, I would spend less time talking about people like Pachushkin. Number four, Pachushkin was the rare serial killer who didn't draw out his kills or have an openly sexual element to them. He didn't torture his victims, didn't rape them. He got away with his crimes because he killed quickly, disposed of the bodies efficiently, immediately, didn't brag about them to anyone, and didn't really have a consistent victim type or a consistent victim look. Oh, and he also got away because the police working in the area around Pachushkin were fucking terrible. And number five, new info. While never a ladies' man before being caught, uh, there isn't a single mention of him actually ever having a romantic relationship with anyone ever. Like Ed Gein, he, he may die a virgin. But unlike Ed Gein, a lot of women admirers now. Uh, apparently around 80 women write to him in prison. Fans, actual fans. We've talked about this phenomenon before. So gross. Uh, and one Siberian woman who works in a children's shop has won a special place in his heart, calling herself Natalia Pashushkin, as if they're already married. How great is that? She's working with kids. Uh, yeah, she sounds super moral, uh, sounds super duper stable. That is just awesome that she's uh, <laughs> she's doing that. Pashushkin admitted in an interview with another Russian newspaper in 2016 that he'd actually proposed to her a few years earlier, and she accepted and she is committed. She has a giant tattoo on her forearm of his face and of a chessboard. My God, that is so fucked up. When you add the chessboard, you can't just claim you're loving him in spite of the murders at that point. You are loving him because of the murders. That is the symbol of his murders. Thank God this maniac works at a children's shop. Uh, whatever the hell that is, by the way, what is a children's shop? Is that a shop that sells, sells kids? I hope not. Uh, thank God she will at least never get to have Pachushkin's baby. Well, they can write letters the administrators of the prison have forbidden these two from ever having any sort of visitation. Time Suck Top 5 Takeaways. The episode has been sucked. Another Russian murderer. Uh thank you Spaces for picking another interesting topic. What a what a fascinating murder robot that guy is, right? Uh thanks again to the Time Suck team. The High Priestess of the Suck, Harmony Bella Camp Jesse, Guardian of Grammar Dobner, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, Time Suck High Priest, Alex Dugan, the guys at Bid Danger Brain, Space Lizards, and Merch Wizards, Axis Apparel, Queen of the Suck, Love of My Life, Lindsay Cummins, uh, big thanks to Jangles Research Superstar, Heather Knowledge Ninja Rylander for getting me some good research to get started with and getting it quick. Uh, next week, the darkness continues this dark October with the strange tale of Catherine Knight. Just like the Alexander Pichushkin, uh tale, Catherine Knight also spending life in prison without the possibility of parole, also for murder, in Australia instead of Russia. Very different story, though. Catherine Knight, not a serial killer. She is the first uh, Australian woman to be sentenced to life in prison uh, without parole. She was convicted of one murder, the murder of her partner, John Charles Thomas Price, in October 2001. But she did a wee bit more than just kill him. Knight stabbed Price to death, skinned him, put his skin on a meat hook, cooked his head and parts of his body with the intention of feeding him to his kids. Yeah, she snapped just a bit. Uh, You know, want to find out why? Well, tune in next Monday. Now, let's bounce on out to today's Time Sucker Updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker Updates. Time Sucker, Trevis Matthews writes in with the fantastic Lost Colony of Roanoke update. He writes, Dear King of Time Suck, I've been a long-time listener, first-time electronic mailer, and hopefully soon to be Space Lizard. First, let me say that I cannot thank you enough for what you guys are doing. I can only imagine how much time you put into each episode, and it shows. Woohoo! Hail Nimrod! Uh, I wanted to write in about the Roanoke episode and hopefully add a little bit more information that my field, Dendrochronology, the study of tree rings, has contributed to the subject. One of the utilities of tree rings is being able to examine past droughts for periods when we do not have data. Basically, when the tree uh, does not grow in a given year, the ring is small, and this denotes a drought. Uh, Stahl et al., 1998, published in Science, this uh, study, published this examination of trees near Jamestown and determined the colony tried to settle the island in one of the most extreme droughts in 800 years. The abandonment of the town occurred during the driest seven-year period in 770 years. The authors go on to cite uh, the drought as one of the reasons why it was so hard to settle the area during this period, and mention the already strenuous tensions with American Indians during the period could have been made worse as they competed for limited food resources during this drought. Just out, these findings will be of interest to you and the cult of the curious. Also, my girlfriend and I went to your show in Huntington Beach just last week, and we both had a blast. I am a geography professor at a local university teaching 100-level natural environment classes and upper-level weather and climate classes, classes, excuse me, and I'm asked at least once a semester about the earth being flat or chemtrails. At first, I was taken aback by these questions and slightly offended that I had to spend time on these topics, but now I have fun with it, and I try to make it my mission to set students straight on these topics. I also have taken to incorporating random made-up tangents about topics in my classes. I love it! For example, today I had my class convinced that the invisible water vapor that we are all surrounded by is harmful to their health. Of course, I set the record straight, but the humor was much appreciated. Yes! Thanks for the inspiration and keep up the amazing work. Hail Nimrod, praise Bojangles, and damn Lucifina, Trevis Matthews. That is beautiful, Trevis. Uh, You sound like a wonderful professor. I would have loved to have had you as a teacher. Uh, Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks for sharing it with your students. It's very appreciated. That drought info does add to that story. I feel like they had to have uh, either just died through a combination of disease, starvation, battle with local tribes, or that the survivors assimilated into the local tribes. And I feel like the drought would have uh, contributed to either one of those scenarios going down. And good on you for having a sense of humor about Flat Earthers and the, and the chemtrail stuff. And thank you for teaching them the truth, man. The world needs more of you. Don't ever stop what you're doing, you wonderful meat sack. Uh, okay, got a little wackadoodle update from Time Sucker Chris Pritchard. He writes in saying, Suckmaster, I'm riding in with a quick update on the origin of wackadoodle. I used it recently in front of my mother, who asked me where I got such an old word. I looked it up, and wackadoodle is a 1990s variation of wackadoo, a 1950s word that probably comes from the 1930 word whack. They all mean an eccentric or fanatical person, but apparently only whack means a crazy person. In fact, wackadoodle appears to be the good natured version of whack job. Pointless, I know, but I thought you'd like it anyway. Your space is your Chris. Not pointless, Chris! Thank you. Until last week, I thought I'd come up with that word. Uh, Yeah, I did not invent wackadoodle. I just thought I did, which probably makes me a bit of a wackadoodle. Bummed I didn't think of it, Uh, but thank you for sharing more about its origin. Uh, Keep on sucking, sir. Uh, Got an axe update from David Hughes now, helping answer my drunk as fuck axe man suck confusion over why it is so hard to kill someone with an axe. David writes in saying, Greetings, lots of suck. So, in reference to axes, hatchets. I'm a fourth-generation arborist and logger. I'm also a collector of axes. During the drunk suck, you made reference to the inability of an axe to completely get through flesh. Well, axes are made to cut down trees and not humans. In addition to that, I'd imagine most people back then as now did not care for their tools unless they were essential to their livelihood. Uh, There have been countless times I've been out and will sharpen my axe or saw during a job. The other thing is that swinging an axe takes a lot of skill and practice, just like bats or golf clubs. It is not an intuitive motion. So people that are not familiar with how to swing an axe will usually waste a lot of energy and have a poor hit. Hope that helps your axe man, David Hughes. Well, thank you, axe man, David. That does help. I was picturing these people just getting picture-perfect axe blows to their nuggets because I uh, I split firewood with an axe many, many times growing up as a kid. So I I, I know a little bit of how to swing an axe, and that's why I just, I'm just i assuming they did it the same way. You know, like They're swinging it straight out of some lumberjack 101 course. But now I see that doesn't make sense. I, I just figured that a heavy piece of metal, sharp or not, put at the end of a long piece of wood was just going to do enough damage to smush a skull. But I guess heads are a little harder than that. Uh, thank you, David. And one last update. Longtime sucker, Zosha Holden writes in with the Lizzie Borden update. Zosha writes, I wish I had a better way to start this message, which will be brief, I swear. But this is exactly how I feel about Lizzie Borden. You're fucking right. What the hell was feminist about her? She sounds like a soft, pathetic whiner with the world's worst case of affluenza. Now, I'm a feminist, probably one of the loudest and most annoying feminists you'll ever meet, and damn, I am sick of pseudo-feminists drooling all over chicks like Lizzie just because she's a woman who acted unconventionally. You want to honor a rad Victorian woman? Try Ida B. Wells, Marie Curie, Mary uh, Wallstonecraft. Someone with a job, which, by the way, you're right again, as a privileged white woman in America, she could definitely have found something. Again, ugh. Lizzie reminds me of an old roommate I had, a trust fund, self-styled intellectual who would scold me for not spending enough time with my cat because I worked. By the way, thanks for sucking these dry nuts for us every week, man. Dry nuts. That's a funny phrase. You're a light in a dark world, and oh, yeah, I was among those a little uncomfortable with a Jackson suck. I'm part Cherokee. So although I found it super interesting, probably doomed from the start for me. But you know what I'm going to fucking do about that? Not re-listen. It wasn't for me. We can all stand to remember that we're not all going to get psyched about the same things, and that's fine. You always pursue topics with an urge to find the funny in anything, and while that's a risky business, we need that in our lives. Why did I just picture Tom Cruise scooting across the floor in his socks? Uh, so keep on sucking, and yeah, I lied about that being short. Damn you, Lucifina! Well, first off, I love you, Social Holden. I think you and I would get along swimmingly. I appreciate your frankness. Thank you for providing some examples of feminists to really get excited, excited about. Strong meat sacks. Brilliant meat sacks. And thanks for your candor about Andrew Jackson. Yeah, not for not for everyone. Uh, my take on his life, for sure. Not for everyone. Pissed off a lot of meat sacks, but that's okay. You know, if you do nothing but agree with your friends, you need to get new friends because you're not being challenged. You're not being stimulated. Take that fucking bubble you're living in. Smash it to shit. Uh, You brightened up my day with that message, Zosha, And I hope I have your name right now, I know I messed it up before I know people mess it up a lot uh, And I know actress uh, Zasha Mamet Pronounces it differently uh, Than the correct Polish-Russian way Even though it's spelled the same So, I gave him my best Next time, suckers I needed that We all did Well, that's all, meat sacks. Try not to get pushed down a well this week. Don't go to a secluded area of a park with a stranger. Uh, Those aren't good ways to ensure that you are going to keep on sucking. (laughs) Let's get 75 fucking consonants in this thing.